Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research, ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles, and thank you for tuning in today, and welcome. We've been uh, talking in a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has been identified for with hundreds if not thousands of historians, philosophers, teachers as one of the greatest teachings that has ever been given to mankind. And rightly so, it was presented by Jesus. As it wasn't spoken to the multitudes though, as some of the movies show us. The Sermon on the Mount was given to his disciples, not the 12. At the time this was given, there were only six. And he did give this same type of teaching that we find in Luke 6 to the 12 before he sent them out. But this was to the six, those original six who would be helping him, who would be ministering with him, who would be his associates as he began his ministry. And these teachings were uh, were phenomenal. Some of these teachings were things that that no one had ever said before, and that no one had ever made uh, made known before to the uh, to the average person. And so it was a not only was it something that was good for them at that time, but it's also good for us today. If you consider yourself a 21st century disciple of Jesus, then this teaching was for you. Not only for them, but for you today. So let's look at uh, the fifth chapter of, uh, of Matthew. That's where the Sermon on the Mount begins. But we're going to look at uh, verse number 14. It says here, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Most likely, Jesus is pointing to the city of Aqaba, which was a, a warning city set on a hill not far from the, uh, the city of, uh, uh, of Nan. And so these warning cities, early warning cities, uh, the ones that were in existence at that time were, were uh, built by Herod the Great. Now, the original warning cities go all the way back to Jehoshaphat, who was the king of, of, uh, of Judah. You know, at that time, uh, when Jehoshaphat was king, there were two kingdoms of the Jews. You have the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, this, the, uh, the kingdom of Judah. And so Jehoshaphat didn't trust uh, King Ahab. He didn't trust the, uh, the king of the north. And so, he created these warning cities that their responsibility was to warn of encroachment uh, from not only uh, Israel, but from the kingdom of Israel, but from other 
uh, areas also. And what this was, uh, was, uh, was a city that had a, uh, a system of warning to, uh, to show the people in the region around that city that the enemy was on its way. Well, Herod took that idea and expounded upon it even more. And he had warning cities that were set on top of, of hills that uh, they were within viewing distance of one another. And at any given time, any time of the day, any time of the night, you could look up to this warning city and you know whether enemy was in the region. And what it was, it was a city that was square, perfectly square. And you could live in that city if you chose to, but you didn't have to live there if you didn't want to. They had a special purpose and they had a mandatory purpose by living there. If you lived in a warning city, then you had to pay no taxes. You didn't have to pay taxes to Rome or to Herod, tax-free living there. You also received a salary from the Roman government and that salary was enough for you to live on. You got free food provided by the Roman government. You had free water or anything that you wanted to drink and that was free. The children received free education but if you took the, the advantages of living in the, uh, in, in the uh, sanctuary city or the warning city, you also had to accept the responsibilities. The responsibilities were this, you warn of any enemy approachment. And if the city did come under siege, it was your responsibility to care for those people who come into the city for protection the farmers in the region, the people that were in the outlying villages and towns, they would run to this city for protection. And it's your responsibility to care for them, to care for them medically, to care for their physical needs, their hunger, their thirst, whatever the case may be. And it was also your responsibility to get, take them back to their homes once the, uh, once the, the enemy had left once the danger was over. So if you reap the benefits of the warning city, you also had to accept the responsibilities of that warning city. Herod's was a little bit more elaborate in its, uh, in its effectiveness. And in the daytime, uh, Herod would use flags, red flags, so that people in the region, the people in the area, the surrounding villages, would be able to look up to that warning city and see the, the flag that was waving and know exactly uh, where the enemy was, if there was an enemy or whether they were safe. At nighttime, <clears throat> he used torches. Now, we'll, I'll explain to you what, uh, what the torch showed. Now, on the north wall of the four square city, <clears throat> the city that was sitting on a hill for warning, there were two torches. If there was two torches on the north wall, uh, it meant all was clear. There was nothing, uh, no enemy had been sighted. But on that north wall, if only one torch was burning, 
it meant that enemy had been sighted. Now, if there was a torch on the north wall and one on the east wall, it meant that not only had the enemy been sighted, but it, the enemy was coming this way and they were within striking distance. And the enemy did want to eliminate the warning cities first out of their, uh, their purpose was to eliminate those warning cities because if they could eliminate them, then the people would be unprepared to defend themselves. And so if there was these two torches, it meant the enemy had not only been sighted, but the enemy was coming this way to lay siege to the city. Come to the protection of the warning city now. All of you that are in the villages, all of you on your farms, on your ranches, come now into the safety of the city. Now, if there was a torch on the north wall, one on the east and one on the west, it meant that we are now under attack. Come quickly, come quickly, because the gates will be closing soon. Come quickly into the safety of the warning city because the enemy is upon us and they are attacking. <clears throat> if there was a torch on all four walls, it meant the gates are closed. You can no longer come to the warning city for your protection. Find protection someplace else because the city is now under siege and we are fighting to the death to preserve the integrity of the city, and to preserve the lives that we are protecting. Once all of the torches have been extinguished, it meant the city has fallen. And all in the city are prisoner or death or something like that. Jesus told these disciples, you are a city on a hill. You are the warning city to warn people of the evils that are out there, of the attacks of Satan, of the tricks of Satan. You are out there to warn of the effects of sin and how sin can destroy and how compromise can destroy. You are that warning city and it's your responsibility to tell people, to witness to them about the love of Christ the love of God, the, uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made, how much he loves you, and the evils that are out there for those that don't know Christ. You are there as that warning city. It's your responsibility to warn, your responsibility to, uh, to be aware of the evils, <clears throat> where they're located. <clears throat> how quickly they can come to, to destroy other believers in Christ. They're there always attacking, wanting to destroy. So it's your responsibility to warn these people of these type of, uh, of difficulties <clears throat> and these type of tragedies uh, that can be in their life. But at the same time, <clears throat> you must care for them. You must be in a position that when they do run into the safety of Christ, and when they do heed your word, and they come into the safety 
of, of God and the safety of what Jesus presents them, <clears throat> then you are there to care for them. You are there to help them. You are there to comfort them. You're there to teach them the things of the Lord. You are there to nourish them. And you're there to be patient with them. Many of those people that came in, they didn't have the same value system that the ones who lived in the uh, warning city had. They would come in <clears throat> with all their garbage, with all their filth, and with all their habits that may or may not have been advantageous to people living <clears throat> in that city. But they had to adopt them anyway. And they had to care for them. And they had to help them. They will be those that are out there that come into the safety of Christ. They'll come into uh, this provision of Jesus because they're tired of the enemy. They're tired of all of the stuff that is destroying them. And they're tired of all of this gameplay that brings nothing but death and destruction. So they come to the security of Christ. They come to the security that you give to them because you introduce them to Christ. But some of these people, when they come in, they come in with all their garbage. They come in with their uh, habits. They come in with their, um, with their talk and with their vocabulary that is certainly not pleasing to the uh, believer's ear. They come in with their doubts. They come in with their, uh, with their uh, anxieties. And just because they come into the security of the wall doesn't necessarily mean that they become permanent residents of the city because they got a lot of stuff that they brought in with them. Such as it is with our communities and our society today. You, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ, you, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, these people follow you and your example because of that that you set for them, just because they come in and because they seek in that refuge does not necessarily mean that they've established permanent residency in the warning city. You have to be able to flow with that. You have to be able to be patient with that. Their desire is to become this permanent resident, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to function in this society. So you do, but you have to be patient with them. You have to take off the bandages one row at a time to uh, those things that bind them up. And you have to be willing to be patient, to go slow and to help them, protect them, nourish them all along the way. Because that is what's gonna be necessary. And you know, when you're a believer in Christ, whether you want to be or not, you are on a pedestal and people are looking at you. You may not want to be on that pedestal, 
You don't want to be recognized as a, uh, as a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. You, you just want to be saved and you want to be left alone. That, that, that may be true, but you can't hide. If you accept him, then you are a resident of the city on a hill. If you have accepted him as your personal savior, then you are there, you're up there. And whether you want to be or not, whether you like it or not, people will look at you. They will examine your daily activity. They will examine your life. They'll listen to the things that come out of your mouth. They'll look at the, uh, the things that you are reading. They'll look at your life, your example, uh, your, your daily activities. They'll look how you handle adversity. They'll look on how you handle not only adversity, but extreme difficulties that leads to destruction. How do you handle it? You are a city that is set on a hill. We have a responsibility. He told his disciples, you can't compromise. And the second thing he told them, you have to realize that you have a responsibility. Not only a responsibility to warn, that is one of the number one responsibilities. Warn of the evils of Satan. Tell about the love of Jesus. Bring them into the fold. Bring them into a position that they can accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Love them. Be, uh, be totally absorbed in them with your own love and the love of Christ. They will come to the security of their warning city and you must be there to welcome them. You must be there to help them and to minister to them. So your responsibility, my disciples, at that time and today with you, 21st century disciples, is to warn, yes, responsibility number one. Realize that, understand that, that if you are that city on a hill, then your number one responsibility is to warn of the approach of the enemy, to warn of the horrors that the enemy brings. Number one responsibility. But second to that is in many cases just as strong and just as needed. You have to take care of them. When they come in, they're brand new babies. You have to take them. You have to help them. You have to nourish them. You have to hold them. So many times in the uh, uh, new believers get turned off from uh, veteran Christians because they have no patience with them. They come into the fold. They come into the, uh, to the warning city, uh, wanting to be a resident of that city, wanting to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. But the judgment that many of the residents, the veteran believers say, turns them off and they go back. They say, well, 
you're a Christian now, you're not supposed to say that. Well, you're a Christian now, you're not supposed to be involved with that activity. And so they, 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 uh, they get turned off because of the lack of patience that we have with people. So we must be in a position that we not only warn them, but we also care for them, be patient with them, understand where they're coming from, and gently and lovingly direct them in the right direction, where they should go, what they should do, and how they should function and live now that they have entered the city on a hill. So Jesus said, don't compromise. And now he says, recognize your responsibility. And the same it was for them, and so it is for us today. This is one of the primary uh, things that we teach in the Islamic world. And so we need you to help us with that. Pray five minutes a day, five minutes every day. And the five minutes that you pray for the persecuted believers is five minutes that is quality time. I'm not talking about five minutes as you uh, stand under the shower in the morning, or not five minutes as you rushing to work down the expressway or the tollway. Not five minutes as you lay your head down on your pillow at night and say, well, I'm gonna pray for these persecuted believers now before I go to church, before I go to sleep. No. The five quality minutes is this. Five minutes that you dedicate to the persecuted believers, praying specifically for them before you take your morning shower, before you jump in your car to go to work or to school, before you lay your head down on your pillow. Five minutes of concentrated prayer for these persecuted believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them have lost everything, everything because they turned to Christ. They have nothing of this world's goods, nothing. They have no job, they have no goods, they have no, they have nothing. So many times I've stood by the side of those ones who have suffered the ultimate for the cause of Christ. My hands are handcuffed, but I'm there as a witness to what they're going to do. These people are standing here. They know that within the next number of seconds, they'll have a knife drawn across their throat or a bullet through their brain. And inevitably, as I stand there, with them, they will say, does Jesus still love me? And I say, absolutely, your Jesus still loves you. He loves you, he wants you to be his, and he's waiting to welcome you with open arms. Then they say, next question, is, is Jesus here? And my answer is, typically been, your Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will always be with you. And with that, 
you can see the peace come over their body, come over their face, and they just, okay, now I'm ready. Many of them don't live the next number of seconds. They do get the bullet in the brain or that knife across the throat. Others live for another day. And we are confident when we tell them that Jesus will never leave you or he'll never forsake you in this world or in the world to come. It's impossible for him to do that. You are his. No, you may not make it for the next 10 seconds. You may be telling this world goodbye, a world that doesn't love you anyway. But within the next few seconds, you'll be welcomed by the arms of Jesus, who will welcome you at the gates of heaven, throw his arms around you, and he'll say, welcome, my servant. Thank you for honoring me by accepting me. And so please pray for these believers, if you will. They have lost everything for the cause of Christ. They're not, they don't regret it, but they need your help. They need your comfort. They need your prayers. Prayers more than anything else that you can possibly do. Yes, they need material things, but prayers more than anything. So remember, five minutes a day. May the Lord bless you. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.